Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Political Party Daily. This episode features General Secretary of Unite and one of the most influential people in the Labour movement, Len McCluskey. Now, I know you'll have looked at this and gone, how long is this interview? I know it's a long one, and I've been trying to keep the daily uh, uh, editions slightly shorter, just because if I'm putting out one every day, I appreciate that it's a, it's a long listen. But this this is worth it. This covers everything you would expect Um to talk to Len McCluskey about the the challenges uh, facing the Labour Party, the opportunities facing the Labour Party, all the issues in our politics at the moment, particularly in the Labour movement, we talk about in some detail. Um, So the the conversation really just carried on going. Um, So I apologise if it's a bit long, um, but... I hope you enjoy it. I'm not going to say any more now because I'm just adding to the length. Um, I started by asking Len, uh, as he's seen as the real deputy leader of the Labour Party, whether he was preparing to become the real deputy prime minister. Delighted to be joined by Len McCluskey, the General Secretary of Unite, uh, regarded by many as the real deputy leader of the Labour Party. Len, are you preparing to become the real deputy prime minister? No, no, not at all. I'm looking forward to Jeremy Corbyn being prime minister and a Labour government that will begin to unite our nations and uh, hopefully change the lives of working people for the better. That's what we're working for. And uh, I'm still optimistic that we can pull that off. That's your objective as uh, as General Secretary of Unite to, to improve the lives of working people and obviously through the Labour Party to to deliver a Labour government. In terms of your role in, in this election campaign within Labour, do you have a, a kind of formal role beyond the role of General Secretary? No, not at all. I mean, obviously, like all unions uh, who are affiliated to the Labour Party, we're trying to get a message out to our members and in particular in my case I'm trying to get a message out to our heartlands those areas that voted leave uh, to come home to labour and you know many of ordinary working people who voted leave did so because of specific concerns and really our message in these last days is Whatever concerns you have, if you're thinking of voting Conservative and they get into power, then nothing will change. They won't do anything about your concerns. The only party that has policies that will deal with your issues is the Labour Party. So come home to Labour. Don't be, uh, don't be drifting away to the Tories or where still the Brexit Party. Stay with Labour and Labour will deal with your concerns and indeed uh, make certain that uh, society and the communities you live in uh, will be better as we go forward. Come home to Labour seems to suggest that people have 
left Labour, that people have gone away and now they need to come back, which nine years into opposition, it feels more like the sort of thing you'd say for a Labour government facing a third term rather than a Labour opposition looking to come in. Well, it's all about Brexit, isn't it? That's the truth of the matter. We know that... um uh, we know that many people who are traditional Labour supporters uh, will have voted Leave and therefore have been attracted towards the whole issue of uh, Brexit is the most important thing. We've got to leave. It's either the Brexit Party or the Conservative Party that will do that for us. So in that sense, we've lost uh, some of our traditional support areas and it's trying to get that message through it's trying to break through Brexit Um, you know it's trying to say look we've got to look at the type of Britain that we want uh, in the future a future for our kids for our children and in that sense it's first of all trying to explain that Boris Johnson's so-called let's get Brexit done and the Brexit deal is a bad deal And secondly, that the concerns, as I say, that uh, uh, people had, and in the main, two major concerns, left behind towns and cities through austerity. Tories will do nothing whatsoever about that. It's only Labour that has policies to invest in those communities. And the second issue was centred around immigration, or more specifically, um, migrant labour. And it's important, Matt, for me to make the point that migrant workers are to blame for nothing in this country. They are just decent people like the rest of us trying to improve their lives. But they are used and abused by greedy bosses, um, unscrupulous employers to uh, undercut wages and conditions. And that's a concern. Uh, But the Tories won't do anything about that. It is only Labour that has policies to introduce labour market regulations that will stop all that abuse, stop the abuses of agency workers. So that's the message we have to try and drive home. Just in terms of freedom of movement then, would you be in favour of restricting freedom of movement as well as tackling bosses? No, no, if you actually have labour market regulations, then freedom of movement doesn't become a problem what what is happening at the moment and of course there's all kinds of different forms of immigration there's people who come to our country to settle down and we've we all know how valuable they are in our public services in our national health service but then there's the transient migrant workers and unfortunately in many parts of our nation um Greedy bosses, agency companies who seek to employ only migrant workers to uh, undercut um, traditional rates of paying conditions. And it causes the type of uh, um, uh, disturbance and concern within communities that we should all be worried about. Labour will stop that. So... There's no problem with freedom of movement. The problem is uh, the abuses by those greedy bosses and by those companies, in particular agency companies. So it's only Labour that has policies to stop that. If Labour introduced those policies, the problem of mobility of Labour and and freedom of movement actually vanishes. Do you think Labour would have been in a better position in this uh, election dealing with, say, Labour-leave voters if it had spent the time since the referendum 
challenging the narratives of Brexit, saying the sorts of things that you're saying. And, and rather than just saying, well, you voted leave, so we're going to try and get to a policy that allows leavers and remainers to feel like they're both on board, actually say, of course, we accept the result of the referendum. But we think it's a bad decision for these reasons. The workers aren't the problem. It's the bosses. And actually challenging those anti-EU messages in those Labour heartlands. Well, you may think that we haven't done it enough, but Labour certainly has um, has been saying that. And indeed, it's in the manifesto that Labour would uh, introduce these labour market regulations specifically to stop the undercutting of wages and conditions. Uh, of course, Brexit has been really, really difficult for Jeremy Corbyn and Labour. 158 Labour MPs come from Leave constituencies, 100 from Remain constituencies. Jeremy himself comes from a constituency that voted 70% Remain. Uh, Ian Lavery, who's the chair of the party, comes from a constituency that voted 70% to Leave. So trying to kind of make certain that there is uh, an element of unity uh, in the party, of course, has been challenging. And I think the current policy that the party has come up with is the correct one. It's the most principled one. On the one hand, you've got Boris Johnson, who's dismissed half of the nation. On the other hand, you've got Joe Swinson, who's dismissed the other half, but quite incredibly, not only wanting to revoke Article 50, wanting to revoke uh, democracy itself. I mean, I think she's made a huge error, and I think the Liberals will suffer uh, from it. It's only Jeremy Corbyn and Labour who are attempting to say, look, we need to unite our nation, we need to bring people together. The division and the toxic nature of the debate that we've had is deeply, deeply damaging um, and therefore, Labour is attempting to say, we will unite the nation. We will respect the 2016 referendum result and negotiate a, a credible deal, a credible deal that we will put back, a credible deal that will protect jobs, protect investment, protect workers' rights and environmental and, and consumer rights. And we'll put that back to the people. And because of the toxic nature and the division and the polarisation in our nation, we will give a second option to remain. I think that's principled. And um, I'm quite certain that most Remain people out there, if they feel strongly, well, there's only one party to vote for, and that's Labour, which is why our attention in this last week needs to be back to our, our, our areas who voted leave, our working-class areas, to explain to them why this is the correct way to take us forward. Uh, I suppose it, hardcore Remainers would say... But Jeremy Corbyn is going to negotiate a deal that he himself has said he won't even vote for, which seems a little odd. I mean, as a, as a, human, as a union boss, is there any form of Brexit that would be an improvement for your workers or, or even equal to what they get from the EU? Well, remember, we uh, campaigned in 2016, put more resources and money in than anybody else on the, uh, to remain. Our platform was Remain and Reform Europe. Because the idea that Europe is some great panacea for working people is just not the case. But we lost. We lost, Matt. And it's an inconvenient truth <laughs> to some people. Yeah. Uh, but we lost. Now, trade unions are used to being in those situations. When you, uh, when you lose or when something alters in a particular negotiation, you engage in what might be termed da damage limitation. You try to negotiate uh, the best deal you possibly can in the circumstances. Now, that's what Labour were committed to do in 2017. 
and um, are now putting back a, a similar uh, policy to the nation to bring everybody together. And therefore, the idea that people want to criticise Jeremy Corbyn for being a weak leader, I actually see it completely different. I think this is genuine leadership by Corbyn. He doesn't want to be on the side of the Leavers. He doesn't want to be on the side of the Remainers. He wants to be a Prime Minister who unites the nation. Now, you'll note that the Tories and the right-wing media want to push him into one corner or another. But so does his own party, to be fair. Well, no, the party didn't uh, don't, don't want to push him into anything. Most they, of his members would like him to be more, more pro-European. Well, the party policy conference supported Jeremy Corbyn overwhelmingly. Because uh, they support Jeremy Corbyn? Well, there you go. I mean, you can't... <laughs> That's, uh, that, that, yeah, but, but they support Jeremy Corbyn because of the style of leadership he gives. Now, if you just think for a moment, uh, if, he, if he was to adopt a Remain position, then obviously all those people who voted Leave and who are traditional Labour supporters and like very much what is being said in the manifesto will feel left down. Equally those, if he was to come out and say, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Leaver. But he probably is, isn't he? Ideologically? Now, well, if uh, the only kind of conversation I've ever had with him, and indeed uh, he said this publicly, is he, he campaigned for Remain in, 20, in 2016. And he did a couple of events. No, that's not true, actually. No, seriously, Mike, that isn't true. He actually attended more Remain platforms than any other uh, politician. Of course, everybody jumps on and creates a myth. But that the tone of it. Well, the, the tone, tone was it. fine. I can remember the tone. It was very similar to my own. But it wasn't enthusiastic. This wasn't a guy well, saying, we've got to what? stay in the EU. It's a great well, thing. Well, he said, well, he, he was asked a question. And um, uh, sometimes, you know, people can think Jeremy is too honest. But that's what he is. And that's what he brings to politics. Politics. But, 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 but then let, he's let not me, telling us how we'll vote in a future referendum. Well, let me, let me make this point. He... He was asked a question in 2016. Well, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would, much would you say was your yeah. support? And I think he said something like 7.5. Now, he got criticised for that. He should have said 10. He should have said 11. No. And in giving that view about 7.5, he probably spoke for the vast majority of the nation. So the position that we are currently in, is Corbyn will go if he is in number 10, which I hope he is, and I'm expecting him to be, he will negotiate with the European Union a credible deal, a, a credible deal that will then go back. And for the first time, people will be able to see what the deal is. You see, I know the media are attempting to kind of distort that, but to trade unionists, it's simple. Uh, when I ask our members to vote on a deal, they want to see what the deal is. I don't go to them and say, right, I want you to vote now on whatever deal uh, I, I cut uh, and I agree. Uh, and they'll say, well, no, hang on, tell us what the deal is. Tell us what the offer is. Now, that's all Corbyn is saying. I'm going to get you a credible offer, not this nonsense that Boris Johnson has got. I'm going to get you a credible offer. I'm going to take it back and you can look at it. And you know what we'll do in Unite Matter? I will recall my policy conference to... So that my delegates, a thousand of them that will come from all parts of the union, will look at the deal 
and be able to make a, a value judgment as to whether to support the deal or whether to support uh, staying in the European Union. But in terms of what British workers get from the EU, there is no deal as good as staying. Well, you know, the reality, of course, is that um, part of the deal and part of what we were hoping this Conservative government would do would be to protect the alignment of um, workers' rights with uh, the European. Now, unfortunately, Boris Johnson has moved what Theresa May put into the withdrawal agreement. He's moved it to the political declaration. And you can ask yourself and and your listeners can ask themselves, why has he done that? Uh, And there is a fear, of course, that the Tories, if they get a majority, would want to weaken workers' rights even more. Um, But you make the point about, well, wouldn't it be better just to stay in Europe? Again, that is not taking on board the fact that 17.4 Oh, I get million, that. I get the democratic argument. But just for, your, for, for the rights of the working dem- class people. No, but, but here's the point. I mean, and, and it, it is quite interesting. We survey our members all the time. And, you know, Unite is uh, really a microcosm of our nation. So significant numbers of, of, uh, of my members voted leave, mm. including, uh, uh, including in our manufacturing base, which is um, uh, under threat if we don't get the right deal. So you have to balance things. Of and that's what, that's what Labour and that's what Jeremy Corbyn, and he's the only leader who is trying to balance that at the moment. But that's not out of ideology, is it? That's, that's out of the reality of someone who probably deep down, his whole life is campaigning against the EU, has found himself in a position where he's leading a very pro-Remain party, and out of political pragmatism has, has kind of incrementally got himself to a position where it, it's a policy that, frankly, I think some people find, for, particularly from Jeremy Corbyn, someone who's this man of principle who's always stood up, who, uh, you know, even when everyone told him he was wrong, he's kept banging the same drum. On Europe, says, OK, I'm not going to have an opinion. The only issue in his political career where he's ever done it. No, and it's I, the biggest issue facing the nation. But I don't, I think that, I think that misses the point about trying to unite the nation. I mean, it's not true to say that he's campaigned against Europe all his life. Uh, he campaigned against... He voted uh, against Maastricht, against Lisbon. As did I. As, Ru- as, did as I. a member of parliament. I, 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 as did I. There's lots of people against uh, the issues. But once we are in Europe, and once uh, Jacques Delors came in 1988 to the TUC and said, look, you know, we're going to have a strong social chapter within Europe that protects people, protects workers and sold us it um, and Jeremy Corbyn and the rest of us who've been slightly sceptical about if that's the case accepted that now of course... He, vo- he was voting against European treaties after Delors. No but the reality of course is that you have to make certain uh, that the uh, the image and the offer that was presented by Delors is actually brought to fruition. Unfortunately, uh, that didn't happen and it hasn't happened enough and there's been real rollbacks against um, 
against workers' rights. And the whole concept of austerity has caused all kinds of issues within Europe. So it's unfair to try to paint Jeremy in a particular position that he isn't in. He's now the leader of the Labour Party. I think he does the job incredibly well. By the way, half a million people joined it, primarily because of him. Largest political party in the whole of Europe. Um, And trying to kind of keep a party like the Labour Party together and unified and moving forward is a difficult task. I think he's done it extremely well. And on Brexit, I think he gives a principal lead. I will not be forced into either corner. I will be the honest broker. I will negotiate a good, credible deal. And I will put that back to the people. It just seems that it goes, it sort of contradicts what the whole appeal of Jeremy Corbyn is, is this idea of a man who always speaks his mind, is always a man of principle, never keeps quiet, stands up to injustice, and yet Brexit, which would deliver injustice to working Britain, he's prepared to say, well, actually, I'm prepared to deliver it as long as it's my version of it, but I'm not going to tell you how... I mean, having a prime minister who doesn't tell you how they vote it seems a bit... We talk about democracy. Why? I mean, if that was a Tory why? prime minister, you'd say this is no, some unscared why? democracy. Why? Why? I'd, I'd prefer the current Tory prime minister to be a lot more pragmatic and a lot more united. He does nothing but uh, divide people. And that's what Corbyn doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to be divisive. There's nothing wrong in that. I mean, people are clamouring for him to be divisive. Choose what side you're on. Tell us this. So well, that- more to be decisive. It's not decisive. It's it's credible leadership. It's principled and honourable leadership to say, I will not be forced to take sides. I'm going to unite our nation. I'm going to deliver a credible Brexit and let the people decide. And in the meantime, I'm going to talk about all of those issues that affect ordinary working people's lives day in, day out. That's principled. So do you talk too much during the campaign? To Jeremy, no. Yeah. no I not at all? I haven't spoken to him once. You're no. kidding. No. Well, no, sorry, that's not true. At the Clause 5 meeting, yes. um, uh, he was there and, and, and we had a, a little chat and I just told him to look after himself. Because, <laughs> because obviously... Something a gangster would say. Well, no, I mean, it's like a coded threat. uh, No, it's not, not at all, not at all. It was more, it was more in admiration, Matt, because the man's got incredible energy. Uh, He he never stops, and I was just telling him to occasionally slow down and try to relax. But he's uh, he loves being out on the stump. He loves being uh, able to meet people, and um, uh, yeah, he's he's a good man. So you don't you don't advise him much during the campaign? No, I don't advise him at all during the campaign. Obviously, there are uh, strategy groups, and I mean all trade unions try to feed in certain uh, points, certain issues, or feedback that we're getting from our members. Of course, we do that, but I don't pick the phone up and say, "Jeremy, you must say this or you must say that." I'm sure he'd tell me where to go if I uh, if I if I tried to do that. Well, he probably wouldn't. He's he's too nice a person for that. Because the perception is certainly of you that you know. When I think about the the, the cliche of of union bosses, you know, I grew up in a period where I just about remember Rodney Bickerstaff, but certainly Bob Crow and Tony Woodley. Um, and uh, Derek, who was Amicus before it merged, Simpson, yeah. Derek Simpson, uh, and Bill Morris at the TNG, and you know we lived in an era of big union bosses, and now 
there are other union bosses, but the only one anyone ever talks about is Len McCluskey. You've basically become the kind of super union boss. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm the general secretary of Unite. Unite is a massive union, the largest union in Britain and Ireland. We are in every sector of the economy. You can't think of a single job where we don't have a Unite member. You can't think of a single town or probably village where we don't have a Unite presence. So uh, we are very much the big society that uh, David Cameron (laughs) used to talk about. Wow. (laughs) So you're a Cameroon rather than a Corbynite. (laughs) Well, I think we became the big society before he thought of the idea. But the truth of the matter is that Uh, We are the most powerful union and therefore as General Secretary I obviously have a task to promote the thoughts and ideas and views and aspirations of my union. But do the other union bosses, does Dave Prentice ever say, oh, come on, Len, you're getting all the attention here? No, Dave and I... You used to be spread everywhere. <laughs> I can't get a look in. <laughs> no, Dave, Dave is uh, very much around his members in public service and, and other good colleagues. We work together. We have a very close relationship, Dave Ward and Tim Roach and Paddy Lillis. Now, all the unions have good relationships. Uh, obviously, the union's relationship with the Labour Party has transformed since Ed Miliband changed the Electoral College, or ab- abolished the Electoral College, which used to give trade unions a huge say in who the leader and deputy leader of the Labour Party is. Um, that has changed. But it seems in a weird way, oddly, that, that that weakened or was intended to weaken union power. But in a way, you seem to have way more influence now than any union leader ever did. <laughs> well, it's very perceptive of you because Ed Miliband changed um, uh, the way that the leader uh, was uh, elected and uh, the law of unintended consequences came into play because the idea that it was meant to reduce union influence um, was a misnomer. Uh, the the third, a third, a third. Uh, trade unions already operated since the days of John Smith, one member, one vote, within our third. Um, The real dramatic change was the MPs losing a third of their votes. Uh, So that is what has affected the, um, the situation in terms of the leadership. In relation to my particular role or that of other unions, um, I think what we have is for the first time, for a a long time, well, certainly in my living memory, um, a a leader of the Labour Party who's proud to be a trade unionist. Uh, Other leaders um, would much prefer trade unions to just slip the cheque under the door and then quietly walk away. Whereas Jeremy and John MacDonald are very keen to listen to the thoughts of trade unions. Because remember, trade unions are the largest voluntary body within our society. Um, We have been demonised by the media since Margaret Thatcher. She tried to create the image of of unions being the enemy within. Mm. Completely different from how unions, by the way, are treated in Europe by their respective governments. Uh, And as a result, of course, no Tory Prime Minister has ever met a trade union leader until very recently when um, Theresa May asked to meet a few of us. So... What What was that meeting like, by the way? um, Well, it uh, it was very... 
polite. You might say awkward. Um, I, I think everybody knows that Theresa May is is um, a socially awkward individual, and so it, it was a little bit like that. But nevertheless, it was respectful and. Uh, it was uh, an interesting discussion because, of course, I was interested and concerned at the time that the deal that she was trying to uh, promote uh, protected jobs and investments. And that senses around the need for a customs union. I know that people and maybe your listeners and people in general get fed up with Brexit. We're at the stage where everyone says, oh, let's just get, get it Brexit done. done yeah. Get Brexit done. That's why the Tories have come up with that slogan. Um but the truth of the matter is that some of these technical issues are desperately important to protect jobs and protect communities. Yes. If, we lo- if we start to lose investments and jobs, I'll give you a little incident. The, uh, the vice president of Ford Europe, about two and a half years ago, I, I met him. Ford's had just announced a $4.5 billion investment in uh, electric cars. And I asked him, um, is, it, uh, is any of that investment coming to the UK? And he said, Lenny, I'd love to say yes, but we've been told we can't invest until there's clarity over Brexit. Mm. Now, that is happening everywhere. I deal with every major um, manufacturing company and all their CEOs are saying we are desperate to invest, but we are being blocked from investment until we know where we are. Customs union, customs arrangements at borders, the actual uh, tariff-free deals that we desperately need. They're the things that need to be sorted out. So the discussion I had with Theresa May at that time was around that. I got some interesting and very um, and very positive responses. And I would have liked to have seen if, uh, if indeed that deal could have been modified to, to, have, uh, to have gone through. Um, However, it, it didn't. Unfortunately, she uh, she was being undercut and undermined constantly by Boris Johnson and the ERG group. Um, but it is still important. And that's why the message to our people who voted leave is, look, the leave deal of Boris Johnson is a bad, bad deal. And the only uh, leader who will negotiate a credible deal is uh, that will protect your jobs, protect investment, protect your communities, is, um, is Jeremy Corbyn. So come home to Labour. If Jeremy Corbyn doesn't win, and you know, obviously there are, var- there are margins of defeat and victory, but if it's another defeat, um, I mean, obviously you said he shouldn't immediately stand down, but I mean, it would, it, another defeat would hurt, wouldn't it? That would be... That'd be four defeats on the trot for Labour. I mean, at that point, do you think Labour should con- reconsider and, and maybe change course? No, I, I think the one thing that um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn has done, uh, aided and abetted very ably by, by John MacDonald, um, I think when he was elected four years ago, he's changed British politics forever. Um, and so you'll recall, Matt, um, that we went through a period where there was deep disillusionment in politics by people. And how many times did we hear people say, well, they're all the same. They're all the same. Yeah, there's no difference between them. And that was hateful because, of course, 
during that period of time, we still had inequality running rife and people saying, well, who's going to do anything for us because they're all the same? What Corbyn has done is effectively put forward um, an alternative. Uh, John MacDonald has brilliantly put forward uh, an alternative economic way of uh, dealing with issues. And I personally don't think that will ever change. Now, I'm expecting Jeremy to win. But if we don't, then like any party, there needs to be a period of reflection. I mean, I suspect that if the Liberals do badly, and I really do think they are going to do badly, I'm assuming they'll have a period of reflection to to look at their leader. And similarly, if the Tories uh, do badly. And so this idea that uh, if Labour lose, Jeremy Corbyn should resign the following day is utter nonsense. You know, it's uh, it's not the adult way to deal with things. There will be a period of reflection. And what you have, remember, is two manifestos two years ago, 2017 and uh, 2019, that are extremely popular with um, with the electorate. They are when the policies are taken individually. But when taken as a collective, people say, well, this doesn't feel credible. No, I, I, I'm not sure. I think, obviously, the media will try to put forward the argument that it's not credible. Um, I think when you talk to individuals, uh, they know, like the policy. We've seen the focus group stuff on Channel 4 this week. You must have seen some of that where these are Labour heartland people saying they can't vote Labour anymore. And they might agree with free broadband. They might agree with nationalising the rail. But when it's taken as a whole, people say, I just don't think they can get the money to pay for it. Well, again, that, there is the challenge and the message. Let me just take you back a couple of years when Labour put forward a very uh, strong manifesto took us within touching distance of power. I mean, commentators uh, were unanimous in saying if this election had gone another fortnight, Jeremy Corbyn would have been in... Oh, but that's like football teams going off. He had another five minutes, you know. But sometimes... The league doesn't lie. But sometimes it's true. The truth of the matter is that happened against the backdrop of Theresa May calling a snap election because everybody was saying the Labour Party will be wiped out. Uh, it will be no more. Remember, Jeremy's had to cope with uh, uh, all the kind of uh, attacks from his own MPs. 170 of them voted uh, no confidence in him. Uh, they were proved uh, completely and utterly wrong. And uh, most of them put their hand up and said, how wrong we were. This man's a good leader. And the truth of the matter is that what happened in terms of the costing of all of that? Uh, because the Tories said, Boris Johnson, oh, where's the, uh, where, where's the money tree? Um, where's the money tree? And they rubbished all of the policies. John MacDonald gave the best answer at the time. He said, I found the money tree. It's planted in the Cayman Islands. I'm going to uproot it and bring it back home to the UK. But... Those very policies that the Tories attacked just two years ago, they're now, they're now pushing them themselves. It's like, uh, you know, this, this uh, Boris Johnson, I almost said Donald Trump then, and there's a, <laughs> there's a Freudian slip for you. It's like this Boris Johnson says, and what have the Labour Party said this morning? What? How many? 20,000 new police? Fine. Well, we'll say 25. We, we'll trump them. <laughs> we'll trump them on any policy. Now, nobody's talking about where's his money tree suddenly come from that he couldn't find two years ago. So we have to kind of break through the media bias to say to people, 
Um, look, here is where the money is coming from. The money is well um, uh, well dealt with in the so-called grey book. But then and, the waspy, you need to the waspy trust labour. The waspy money isn't in the grey book, and that's an extra fifty-eight billion. No, that's an extra twelve billion a year uh, over a period of time. Um, these things happen. I mean, for example, if the waspy women were to, uh, they're going to court to appeal against the decision. <coughs> if they were to win that appeal then whatever government is in power, if the Tories get back into power, they're going to have to find the money. There's a kind of, these are issues that are red-ringed, and it's a historic... Uh, you don't preempt empt trial by saying you're definitely getting the it's money. It's a historic injustice that's been going on for years and years. 3.8 million women who were robbed, absolutely robbed. So why, did, hope, why wasn't it just in the manifesto? Then? I hope, well, because... If it was the, such a big injustice, because, why didn't Jeremy Corbyn well, recognise it? Well, and it, that's a really good question, and there's a good answer. Obviously, working out the uh, costings, um, the, uh, the Labour Party hadn't reached the stage where they could cost this, and it was, it's therefore being dealt with as, as a red-ringed um, one-off issue that will... Uh, need to be dealt with because of its injustice and the money will be found uh, in various ways, whether that's additional borrowing, whether it's additional um, uh, taxation on corporate elite. And remember, you know, we we haven't gone into detail about the... um, we haven't gone into detail about the taxing of all these multinational companies who pay no tax. The Googles, the Amazons of this world, the Starbucks, they rip us off left, right and centre. Uh, and nobody is going to do anything about that except Labour. So the message has got to be to people, trust us. And I think trust is an interesting thing here because although Jeremy is being hammered by the media and has done for the past four years, how the man has stood up to it is beyond me. He's certainly a stronger man than I have. I've had some criticism in the media, but nothing like he has. Uh, every single day, personally attacked. Um, the truth of the matter is that trust is the issue, and I don't believe people trust Boris Johnson. I think they're right not to. And I think in this last week, because we find in our surveys, uh, and I'm picking the same up through polls, that there's still. Uh, a percentage of people, quite a healthy percentage of people who haven't quite decided. And I think that's why our message of come home to Labour uh, is is going to strike home. And you said in an interview with the Huffington Post that some Unite members do say that Jeremy Corbyn's leadership is an issue for them as well. I mean, how do you counteract that within the union? You try to explain. You see, you know, just to repeat myself, four years ago, He gets elected and every single day, every single day and quite unmercifully, he has been slaughtered, slaughtered day in, day out. Any issue, anything he said 20 years ago, anything that he doesn't do right, his tie's not on right, his hair's not combed. The nature of leadership, doesn't it? Gordon Brown had that. No, Boris Johnson has it about his No, 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 Matt. Nobody has had the criticism. Not in the same league. Hasn't got... One of my great political heroes is Tony Benn. Uh, um, You know, rest his soul. He, He was vilified and attacked. But Corbyn has moved on to a different level of vilification. You don't think Tony Blair's more vilified or Margaret Thatcher? Thatcher was never vilified by who? 
Millions of people. No, oh yeah, or people celebrating when she died. Exactly, ordinary people may have vilified her, but the media, the right wing media, loved her. You could never. The left wing media didn't. Oh, there's very few. What left wing media are we talking the about? Mirror, right? The Guardian? Oh, the Mirror, the Mirror, the Guardian, a left wing paper. <laughs> oh my god! Oh god! Where are we going? The Morning Star. Yeah, and how and how that what, mainstream uh, that, media yeah. success <laughs> exactly, Matt. Exactly what you know. What public <laughs> and even the Mirror, because the Mirror, the Daily Mirror, does stand solidly with Labour and and good on them for oh, doing. The Guardian's that. left but the paper, isn't it? The Guardian is a liberal paper, as we as we well know, a left of centre, if you like. But I can't remember them vilifying Thatcher in any shape. That the Daily Mail and the Sun and the Express vilify um, uh, Corbyn every single day, every single day. Now, you've asked me a question about my members. That mm. gets into people's psyche. There's no doubt about that. And they start questioning things. And um, our challenge is to try to say to them, look, don't believe this. This is a decent, honest man who's on your side. Boris Johnson will never be on your side. Never, ever. The Tories will never be on your side. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn is on your side. Labour is on your side. That's the message that we have to battle. It's difficult with the media. It's why, incidentally, social media like your own is so, so important in today's society. Absolutely brilliant that we can now cut through the billionaires who own the mainstream newspapers, that we can cut through the biasness that exists in the BBC and that we can get out, especially to young people, uh, through social media. Fantastic that that's happening and it's the one great hope I have of bringing some balance into into our debates um, for ordinary people. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I mean, is it all about the media? I mean, you know, I've, I worked for the Labour Party for many years and uh, colleagues would always say, oh, it's the media, it's the media, it's the media, whether we're in government or whether we're in opposition. I mean, the public consume a lot of different messages from a lot of different outlets and they talk amongst themselves it's people don't just pick up the express and go well i believe every word in it people form an opinion for a variety of messages and some leaders some labor leaders are better than others at cutting through i mean i know this hurts to even entertain the thought of a labor defeat but i mean how pragmatic are you about the future direction of the party if, if labor were to lose say heavily and obviously you hope that doesn't happen and let's see what happens is there any part of you that says, look, maybe we do need to be slightly less radical, maybe move a bit towards the centre, because I would rather see a Labour government that does something 
for my members than a Tory government that does nothing. No, I think the point I was trying to make before is that the issue that Jeremy Corbyn and John MacDonald and others have tried to do is to say there is another way. There's an alternative to the neoliberal economic uh, ideology that has uh, dominated the globe for 40 years since the Thatcher-Regan uh, axis. There's another way. Now, when you're doing that, you challenge power. And that's why power uh, moves against you in the way that I've suggested. They've moved against Jeremy. You know, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown never had the type of attacks that... Uh, um, that Jeremy uh, and, and John Mack have, uh, have had to put up with. Tony Blair does now. From who? From, from, well, the, well, from, from the establishment. The, yeah, from oh, the media no, no. outlets. No, no, Matt's the truth. Very few papers would give Tony Blair a fair hearing the these days. The truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is that, um, and I'm not here to slag off Tony Blair or, or anybody else, but the truth of the matter is that they recognise that Blairism, New Labour, was not going to challenge the power axis that exists within our society. But people aren't voting for it, and it's not winning. And you can't get that message through to the public. But, uh, How but, many times do you keep trying, I guess, is the question. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> only, only been going for four years. Jeremy's been here for four years. The first thing he did... We tried it in the 80s, and it didn't work. Well, no, I mean, that's a different argument altogether. If you want to go, drift back to the 80s, <laughs> I was deeply involved then. Uh, but re- remember, the very first thing that Jeremy Corbyn did when he took over, Labour was an austerity party. Ed Miliband and Ed Ball went into the 2015 election as an austerity party. Austerity light, they used to call it. I used to say to both Eds, I don't know what that means, austerity light. You know, what does that mean? And what would, what would they say to you? Well, oh, look, Lynn, come on, look, look, you just didn't get it. I mean, look, that's look, it's about taking the fight to the Tories, Lynn. It really is. That's exactly what I used to say. And that's very good, by the way, Matt. Uh, but the truth is, um, the truth is, everybody had bought into the fact that austerity was the only way out of the crisis that had been brought about by the spivs and the speculators in the city. Corbyn was only in office for less than six months, nine months. Labour became uh, uh, anti-austerity and you couldn't find a single Labour MP who said, no, that's not right. Uh, We've still got to be austerity light because he won that argument in that very short period of time. Of course, uh, Boris Johnson... And then Theresa May and Sajid Javid, oh no, austerity, we, we, it's, uh, it, it's all over. We've, we've won the ideological arguments about there being uh, a proper alternative. But it's only been uh, the last four years against the backdrop of vicious, biased attacks on Corbyn and the leadership and the grandees of the party uh, and a, a number of Labour MPs continually wanting to stab him in the back. It's difficult in those circumstances. I don't get into the attritional battles of the Labour Party, but everyone I talk to on this podcast, whether they come from the left, right or the centre of the party, feels that their side is under attack and was attacked first. You know, People say, well, Jeremy Corbyn wants loyalty, but he voted against the Labour Party 500 times when he was an MP. 
recipe. I mean, it, it, some people find it hard to take lessons from loyalty from someone who's well, been that disloyal. I never, I don't know how many times Jeremy voted against a Labour leadership. I never, ever uh, seen the um, vicious personal attacks from Jeremy or, to my mind, any of the left MPs in the same way that Corbyn had to experience from the Parliamentary Labour Party, uh, which was quite despicable, and some of whom have now thankfully left us uh, and gone off and joined parties that they should have been in long before they uh, infiltrated and tried to infect uh, the Labour Party. Um, Corbyn never did that. There's nothing wrong within the Labour Party in having a different view from the leadership. It's how you conduct yourself. It's how you express Express that point of view and how you go about your business. It's the same in but the trade 500 union. rebellions is a lot, isn't it? I mean, shouldn't no, Jeremy no. Corbyn have been expelled? <laughs> the reality is voting against issues. By the way, most of the issues he voted against, he was proved to be right. Uh, voting against issues is not the, the, the problem. It's how you conduct yourself. Uh, some of the MPs that we've had to put up with, they rushed the media and, of course, the right-wing media are always happy to provide a platform for these individuals to slag off Corbyn or slag off Corbynism. Um, it's how you conduct yourself. It's the same in the trade union movement. I mean, I, I, I'm the general secretary of 1.3 million people. Do I think for one minute that 1.3 million members all think the same way, vote the same way? Of course not. Um, should they have a right for their views to be expressed, for their criticism of me or, or the union to be expressed? Of course. But we have ways of doing that. There is a, a, the, there's ways of doing that that make certain that it doesn't uh, affect and, and disrupt and uh, damage the party and the organisation we're part of. That's so, the issue for the Labour Party. But then, uh, so with the two, I think particularly Ian Murray and Anna Turley then in, in, in recent times, uh, and I know the Anna Turley case is ongoing, but that's disrupting the Labour Party, isn't it? And disrupting Labour's chancellors trying to deselect Ian Murray, who was the only Labour MP left a few years ago in Scotland. <laughs> I know this. Uh, in fact, I know you, uh, Ian, did a podcast with you. I, I listened to you it. You did, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that Ian Murray was never going to be deselected. Absolutely never. There was never any chance. All this idea that Len McCluskey got a black eye and I put Unite in their place. What a nonsense. You know, Ian Murray was as safe as houses. But it was important as far as some of my members in Scotland were concerned, and it was them that made the decision, it was my Scottish Regional Committee, that he was called to account. Ian Murray was the only Labour MP, and as such, he was the Scottish um, uh, Shadow Secretary, uh, and he resigned. And in resigning, he attacked Corbyn, which he consistently does. He then quite disgracefully was offered a position by Kezia Dugdale, who was leader of Scottish Labour at the time. And she, again, quite disgracefully asked Ian, would he be a Scottish Labour's voice in Westminster? And he accepted that. What an insult that was to Jeremy Corbyn. Absolutely disgraceful his continued attacks on Corbyn, his attacks on my union. And so people said, hang on, we're not going to let that pass. We know we won't deselect him, he's very solid. But we are going to call for him to account. And that's all that happened. 
But going into an election, that's that's destabilising, isn't it? To, to vote in that constituency, they'll go, hang on, even Labour people ran this. Well, we went in an election. Was it the run-up to this election? Well, when you say a run-up, <laughs> uh, we've been running up to an election, you could say, for a couple of years. They, no, they, it wasn't in the election. There's a process about triggering in the Labour Party, and a decision was made to trigger him on the basis of us calling out his behaviour, which I believe is disgraceful. And having listened to his podcast, it was uh, it was interesting to me that this is not a man who's behind Jeremy Corbyn or seeking to get Labour into power. So I have no, um, no regrets whatsoever for doing what we did. But the idea that we were somehow defeated when we knew that there was never a chance of deselecting him is just nonsense. It's good. It makes good news for him or a good newspaper talk, but it's not true. Um, and what about Anna Turley then in, 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 in Redcar? Um, you know, this is someone who'd been ill, had to have serious hospital I know, uh, the, the treatment. That- you're asking me. You're asking me about something that I really don't know anything about. I know there's, I know there was there's some legal issues going on, um, and and that's all I can tell you. Um, I, I think Anna and and a group of air MPs, I think they're called the Birthday Club, um, were engaged in uh, it, when I was running for general secretary in ways and means to defeat me. But I honestly am not involved in the in the legal stuff. I think Squawk Box ran a story and Anna uh, took exception to it and that's now being argued out in court. But she's suing the union, so I mean, you must you must be fairly aware of what's happening. I'm aware that she's suing the union, and that so you don't um, take an interest in the detail as general is, secretary. Is the truth of the matter, Matt? I never ever think about her or what's going on. I've got a thousand other things to be dealing with. That'll find its own level. Oh, I'm sure it will. And I don't want to, you know we, we, we're talking about a legal process, so that you, we obviously have to respect that. Um, but you said she was unfit to be an MP, which is quite a harsh thing to I say. I did. The union did. Well, well, OK. Uh, I'll have to check that back. Um, but the union's withdrawn the allegation she lied about receiving union mail. So I that's... don't know. I don't know that the union has withdrawn anything. I don't know. Well, any... that was on the BBC. I don't know anything about the case. I never said that uh, Anna was unfit to be a um, uh, an MP. Uh, the the case is going on. It it really isn't that relevant. It's not. You, it's not, not relevant to anything that's going on in our lives, and it's certainly well, not it's, relevant. It's certainly not relevant to our members' lives or ordinary workers' lives. Well, she's a Labour MP who represent amongst people in Redcar many. And I hope members. she wins. Well, that's good. I mean, it's you know, it, it would be saddening for people to think that you were trying to deselect Labour MPs. Anyway, let alone Labour MPs people were fond of or they've been through hard times. I've and just are... explained the, the Ian uh, Murray situation yeah. to you and I hope he wins and I hope Anna wins. I hope all Labour MPs win. Will you send them a, a congratulations card if they win? Absolutely. Personally signed? Uh, if somebody puts it in front of me, I'll I'll scribble my. Well, I'm going to find you after that. I'm going to come to your <laughs> office and do moon pig cards with your face on the front and get you to sign them. Um, just in terms then of um, of the unions and Labour, 
Obviously, one thing that trade unions can do, and you know, you talk about counteracting billionaires and the media and everything else. One thing where you can have huge influence, regardless of the electoral college being abolished and everything else, is in being able to fund the Labour Party and make sure that they have organisers on the ground, the ground war, as we call it. They can pay for leaflets and all sorts of things. I mean, in the time that I was working for the Labour Party, if it wasn't for the trade unions, I wouldn't have been paid most of the time. You know, the trade unions have saved the Labour Party at various points in its history. Uh, I wonder, I mean, I think, given, I can't find the, the precise figures. I, I did a quick Google last night, but £11 million since Corbyn became leader up to March, uh, about half a million in the first quarter of this year, £3 million in the second week of this campaign. Big amounts of money that could potentially change the course of the election and keep Labour in the fight. When that money gets given... Does it come with any strings? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but do you say, look, here's three million quid, but we want it to go on, say, leaflets or online or staff? No, I mean, it's uh, the the money that trade unions give to the Labour Party. First of all, there's the affiliation fees, which yes. uh, you'd be talking about unions paying affiliation fees to the Labour Party. And then uh, at election time, and we've had two elections now in in just over two years. Maybe more um, to come. And maybe more to come, who knows. Uh, <laughs> unions make donations to make certain that the Labour Party is fit to fight the campaign. Remember, the Tories are backed by billionaires. Uh, they never have any problem with money. Um, but no, we, we, don't put any, uh, we don't put any restrictions. The Labour Party has teams and strategies and works out what they want to do, and we try our best to support that. And do they ever come to you and say, oh, we've got an idea for a campaign, we need a couple of quid for that specific thing? Or yeah, is it... yeah, yeah, that happens. So sometimes it is about specific Oh, yeah, things. I mean, that, that happens, of course. Uh, of course that happens. Um, and I, I, it give, this gives me an opportunity just to make this point because, of course, I sometimes uh, unions sometimes get criticised for giving Labour uh, too much money or, or being involved with Labour, and sometimes that criticism can come uh, internally uh, from uh, within the union. Um, and it's therefore important to understand the history of this. Um, mm. It was the trade unions that created the Labour Party back at the turn of the last century. In Farringdon in 1900 with yeah, Sydney and Beatrice Webb and the co-op party. And you know you know your history, I'm a Matt. sad bastard as well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sad devotee of Labour Party of course, but, uh, but, you know, as time moves on, people forget that. What happened, of course, trade unions in the... Uh, in, in the late 19th uh, in, uh, century um, used to back the Liberal Party because obviously whatever battles were taking place on the industrial front, you always need a voice inside um, inside the political arena, inside Parliament. And it became clear to everybody that you couldn't trust the Liberals and lo and behold, things, some things don't change. Um, uh, and I wonder so, if they were doing those bar charts back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Glad, Gladstone can't, you know, yeah, Israeli can't win it. Scratching his head and, and, <laughs> and a quill pen. The, the truth of the matter is that the trade unions realised with the struggles that were taking place and upheaval that was taking place in the industrial arena that we needed a voice of labour 
within Parliament. And so we created the Labour Party. And so there is an umbilical cord that links us with the Labour Party. It is our party, it is the party of organised working people. And that's why it's right that we uh, support it and are affiliated to it. In terms of, I, I just wondered whether, and obviously it's not you that's giving the money, it's individual members, it's a collection of donations, um, of, of small donations from members. Yeah. Um, and that's important to remember as well. I just wondered if, you know, you ever say to them, oh God, you've, you know, the last million quid we gave you, you wasted on Labour Live or something like that. Well, Labour Live was a fantastic, <laughs> uh, was a fantastic event, by the way, so that wasn't wasted. Um, do we ever say you've wasted money? No, I mean, we may, of course, you, you don't just give money away and and then uh, members' money away and then not worry about where mm. it might have gone or what's happening to it. Um, we have uh, an involvement in the running of the Labour Party. It just so happens that the treasurer of the Labour Party is um, my assistant general secretary, Diane Holland. Now, Diana, of course, is elected by the whole of the Labour Party conference. So the money uh, is is looked after. The governance of the party is scrutinised. Of course it is, yeah. Um, I just wondered, obviously, staff contracts and things, but the staff in Newcastle were told their, their contracts wouldn't be renewed and they only just got this message. And I just wonder if sometimes when you look at the way that the money's spent in the Labour Party, you go, actually... I'd rather that money keep hard-working Labour staff than be spent on, I don't know, another billboard. Uh, I've no doubt some of these may be Unite members. I don't know the full details of that, but we'll be looking into that. Um, and just in terms of, and I'm, I'm aware I've kept you for far longer than I said I would, but this has been such a fascinating chat. Oh, I've got all, I've got all, lots of time. Don't worry about that. Brace yourself for a 12-hour podcast marathon. Um, <laughs> I promise it won't go for 12 hours. Um, when when we think about Unite members and the things, because it's interesting when you talk about, um, you know, the issues they might have with Labour at any one time. And I remember you saying that you would potentially be open. And I think this might have been under a previous Labour leadership to if the Labour Party at the time wasn't going in a direction you were comfortable with, actually maybe starting a new party and, and funding that instead. Was that a genuine threat? <laughs> oh, I thought you may have raised this. Uh, it was under a different leadership. And, of course, those strains can emerge from time to time. Um, at that particular point in time, and it was under Tony Blair and Gordon's uh, leadership. Great days. Uh, they were, um, we were under a lot of pressure internally in the union to say, why are we giving this Labour Party so much money uh, when they're not doing anything to help us? Uh, when they may be attacking specific strikes that are taking place. I remember Tony Blair, when he was speaking to um, a business audience, saying to them, don't worry, uh, we've got the most restrictive uh, labour laws in Western Europe, and under my leadership, nothing's going to change. Now, that brings a strain, of course it does, on people saying, well, if that's the case, because just on that, remember, and I really get angry about this, how is it that the nation that defeated fascism at the end of the Second World War and gave Europe all of the freedoms that they currently have, everything that Europeans currently have, we gave them. How is it possible that German workers have got better protection than British workers? How is it possible that French, Italian, Dutch, all of them in Europe have got better protections than 
uh, British workers. It's outrageous. And so when you had a Labour government who says, no, we're not going to change that at all, pressure bills to say, hang on, is this really the party of Labour that it's supposed to be? Now, fortunately, we've moved beyond that. And going back to one of your previous questions, I don't think we'll ever move back. Um, oh, so but people say that all the time. They said boom and bust was over. No, they said no, well, new Labour would last forever. Well, of course, they were both wrong. <laughs> Gordon was wrong that boom and bust is over. I never believed boom and bust was over. Um, whether new Labour was The Titanic like... would never sink. I mean, you know, we could go through all of them. I mean, is yeah. Labour always going to be a party of Corbynism then, I guess? I believe Labour is... It was created as a radical party. The, the, the basis of Labour when it was created was to challenge the establishment, not to sit down and have meals with them like Mandelson or some of the others, the filthy rich. <laughs> um, it's what did cha- you have when you met Theresa May? To cha- we, I didn't even have a cup of tea, by no, the way. No, no beer and sandwiches. No, she never even offered me a cup of tea. Um, but the truth is That's that... really bad. The truth is, Labour was created to challenge the establishment. Now, I believe what Corbyn and Macdonald have done, we will now be a radical party. We will always put forward an alternative to the power and the wealth of the establishment. And I honestly don't think that will change. I think 50 years from now, 100 years from now, students of politics will look back and say, what a watershed moment that was when Jeremy Corbyn was elected and Labour became the party that they have always been. Labour was set up to be a radical party. It was also set up to unite the middle and the working classes. It was also set up to be a moderate party coming from the Fabian movement and the cooperative movement. It was also set up to be a parliamentary force to win general elections. Yeah. You know, people are obsessed with Clause 4. A lot of people talk about Clause 1 of the Labour Party, which is to, to win as many parliamentary seats as possible. And if, if the direction of the party hinders the ability to, to maybe... Um, Former former government, maybe, uh, isn't that a betrayal of Labour values? Well, there's, since I've been a member of the Labour Party, which is 50 years, by the way, I've been a member of the Labour Party, I've always been engaged in the argument about um, what's the point of having principles if you haven't got power? And the other argument is, well, what's the point of having power if you don't have principles? Sound like Tony to Blair. That was a, that was a Blairite quote. It was, and so the issue really power without principle is barren. Principle without power is futile. And or and, the other and, way and he was right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and but and therefore it's about a balance. It's about the balance. It's about making certain that we put forward our values of decency and justice and fairness, and people believe that when we're in power we will carry it out and the mistrust that Labour um, politicians, Labour leaders have created over the years, uh, the betrayal if you like and the disillusionment that that has brought um, has consequences. Look at Scottish Labour. Scottish Labour uh, we were telling Scottish Labour as, as early as 2007 when the SNP won seats in the east end of Glasgow. We were telling Scottish Labour, wake up and smell the coffee. SNP won power in Holyrood in 2011 when the system up there is deliberately designed for one party not to have power. Wake up and smell the coffee. And what, uh, because the Scottish working class were being betrayed and felt let down. 
and they lost trust in Labour and they seen the SNP as a more radical party. So it is about balance, Matt. It's about trying to make certain that you, the people that you are purporting to represent and speak on behalf, that they trust you and they know that if you do get into power, you will carry out those uh, uh, those policies. You're starting to sound like a pragmatist, then. I mean, is this is this code for Len McCluskey uh, supports a Keir Starmer leadership bid on the 13th of December? Principal pragmatism. <laughs> Do you know, principal pragmatism is something that I've followed as a trade union You're leader. You're not denying supporting Keir Starmer uh, for the uh, leadership? Uh, 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 is, well, there won't be, there won't be a, a leadership on December the 13th. Jeremy Corbyn will be our leader and he'll be in number 10. <laughs> but if he's not, if he's not, maybe, maybe Keir is the man. Um, just in terms of you know concerns that Unite members might have with the Labour leadership and things like that, do many of them mention anti-Semitism? Um, do you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth very, very rarely. It's, um, it's an issue that doesn't come up. Uh, it, I'm glad you've asked me the question. It gives me an opportunity to say that anti-Semitism, to me, is the greatest evil in our society. And um, I'm happy that Labour is doing everything it possibly can with procedures, etc., etc., to challenge it and to rid the Labour Party of any anti-Semites. Um, I think the idea that Corbyn is somehow to blame for this is perverse. Um, I think it's deeply unfair. This is a man who's fought against anti-Semitism and, and, and racism all his life. And to suddenly say that he's responsible because the image was that the Labour Party somehow become toxic. It's become misogynist and anti, uh, anti-Semitic. Um, I find that offensive. I've been, it's, this is my party. I've been in it for 50 years and it's a party that has been voted for by uh, countless millions of ordinary working people. Um, and therefore the challenge that somehow it's institutionally anti-Semitic, I reject out of hand. Um, but uh, any, um, any incidents of anti-Semitism has to be dealt with and has to be dealt with speedily um, and in a way that uh, rids these people. It, it, it seems to have proliferated under Corbyn in a way that it hasn't under any other leader, though. Well, I think that's, again, unfair, but uh, I, I know you're not being unfair, but others push it in a, an unfair fashion. But let me say this. Since Corbyn became leader, half a million people joined the Labour Party. Now, most of um, anti-Semitism and the incidents uh, is on social media. Um, you al- allow half a million people to suddenly join an organisation, uh, I suppose very, virtually all of them engaged in social media, then things are going to be said. Now, of course, you have to make a difference between the criticism of the Israeli government with its disgraceful policies and attacks on the Palestinian people to anti-Semites, anti-Semitic language and tropes. And therein uh, is the challenge for Labour. Uh, I, I suspect most people on the left of the party are supporters of the Palestinian cause. 
of your supporters of the Palestinian cause, that leads you into criticism of the Israeli government. I'm a huge critic of the Israeli government. Uh, I think they're the most right-wing, vicious government uh, that um, you could have, or certainly... Um, well, there are a few it, regimes ahead of them, I Yes, yeah, sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't comparing them, just to put it right, Matt. I'm not comparing them to other regimes. I'm talking about them as a right-wing, vicious government in Israel probably the worst there's ever been in Israel. So I attack them, I'm opposed to them, but I'm also a, um, a supporter, a strong supporter of the existence of the State of Israel on the 1967 Green Line uh, boundaries, but I, I, I support the existence of Israel. Now, if you support Palestine and you attack Israel, then um, the, therein lies the, the, the difficulties in social media. Um, and so if there has been a proliferation of those attacks, then I've no doubt that some people will um, see that uh, as offensive. Of course, I am deeply sorry that uh, any members of the Jewish community have been hurt by some of the issues that have guided your po uh, podcast with uh, Luciana Berger, of course, who did some fantastic work in the Labour Party on mental health. Um, it was interesting that Luciana talked about this started to happen. She got people jailed in, 19, uh, in 2013, 2014, 2015, long before Corbyn had become... They were on the far right. Yes, that's right. Um, but the issues she had with her own CLP in Liverpool Wavertree, they were trying to deselect her while uh, but, 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 she was going through this awful abuse, no, rather than standing in solidarity with uh, the Jewish well, well, sorry, two things here, and, and herein lies the issue, because I happen to know the constituency. The constituency chair, for example, is Jewish, and he was furious at being accused of being anti-Semitic because uh, he was not supporting Luciana. Luciana was challenged, like all MPs, and there's nothing wrong with accountability. It's like general secretaries of a union. We've got every right to be challenged and we need to be accountable. Uh, to I'm, I've got to be accountable to my executive. And she was being challenged because of her lack of support for Corbyn and a belief that she was moving away from the values of the Labour Party, which of course she currently has proved was the case. The point I'm trying to make here is anti-Semitism needs to be tackled. Uh, I won't rest, the Labour Party won't rest until we get rid of every anti-Semite in the party, Jeremy Corbyn included, and it is deeply unfair to blame him for that. In terms of the, the EHRC, EHRC investigation, obviously about institutional anti-Semitism, about the practices of the party, um, that's a different thing to say, you know, you know, social media people make comments and, you know, I think there's a sense of fairness from the public that they say, I accept that 500,000 people join quickly, you can't immediately know who they all are, but you have to deal with these things swiftly. Um, it's, it's the internal practices of the Labour Party that have concerned the EHRC, who decided to investigate, because in their view there was a threshold that had been met. Um, it seems from, from what we learned that actually the Labour Party hasn't been entirely straight about. You know, initially it said Jeremy Corbyn didn't get involved, his office didn't get involved, and then it accepted that actually, well, Laura Murray had been seconded over. You know, it felt as though actually the Labour Party was trying to 
obfuscate a bit and, and, and not be clear about what the leader did or didn't know about I don't, it. I, no, I don't think that's true, Matt, at all. I mean, we'll all have to wait to see the outcome of the EHRC's uh, report. I'd be astonished if they um, if there was a hint that they suggested that there was institutional anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. I'd just be astonished at it. We'll have to wait for the outcome of the report, but my understanding is that no, Corbyn uh, and, and its leadership and are not involved in that process. What has happened since, um, and again, this is the unfairness of all of this, since Jenny Formby became General Secretary of the Labour Party, she's in, uh, implemented all kinds of, um, uh, of procedures to deal with this. Prior to her... The Shami Chakrabarti report, uh, you know, Shami's a highly respected uh, individual, human rights lawyer, etc. Um, her report, nothing was done about it by the previous administration, um, who, of course, have escaped any form of criticism. <laughs> uh, it's only since Jenny came on board that she's implemented all kinds of different things and will get better at dealing with these issues. It's obviously so it's so distressing for Labour members, the Jewish Labour movement, saying that they can't vote for, they can't support Labour in general and, and will only campaign for exceptional candidates. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with the JLM. I met with them a few months back. Um, I met with them because they were concerned that my union uh, had indicated that we were interested in working with and supporting um, the Jewish Voice for Labour, JVLM. Yeah. And it's important that your listeners know that JVL, uh, JVL are a group of Jewish activists who decided they're pro-Corbyn, supporters of a radical Labour government. They are um, anti the actions of the Israeli government. And they were angry enough to say to JLM, uh, you don't speak in our name. And we're going to create, just in case people think that every Jewish member of the Labour Party agrees with JLM. Now, when I met with JLM, because they were concerned, I said, look, Unite wants to work with JLM. But we had a very honest discussion. And I asked them a question. I said, would it? Because they said, well, we get attacked by people who support Corbyn. And I said, OK, well, look, when people are engaged in what is a trench war uh, because they're being attacked. Jeremy Corbyn's being attacked daily, daily, daily. There is a mentality that says, well, if you're not with us, you're against us. And we have to try and see if we can get over that. But let me ask you a question. Would I be right in assuming, and we're having an honest discussion here, um, would I be right in assuming that the vast majority of uh, JLM uh, members would not want, would, would be happier if, Jeremy Corbyn wasn't leader of the Labour Party. And after a pause, they said, yes. And I said, well, therein lies the issue. That's why JLM is seen as anti-Corbyn. And therefore, we have to break that down. Therefore, their decision, I think, is a disgraceful decision, by the way. But it doesn't surprise me, because the truth underlying it all is that they actually don't support Jeremy Corbyn. But there's a reason why they don't, and it's not just they prefer, you know, a, a type of wallpaper to a different type of wallpaper. It's because they feel they've been abused 
They blame Jeremy. They blame Jeremy because of where they're from. They blame Jeremy because it's only happened under his leadership, and they don't feel like he's done Max, enough about it. Max, they blame Jeremy. It's very, it very. Shouldn't clear. leaders take responsibility it for ver- what happens? It, hang on, I don't know how many times I've heard Jeremy Corbyn say, "I abhor the attacks." Oh, but saying and doing are two very different. Well, things. when you say saying and doing, we have procedures to deal with people in the Labour Party who are engaged in anti-Semitic language or tropes, and that's to get rid of them. Jeremy Corbyn has said, not in my name, because I heard Luciana and I've heard others say, oh yeah, well, these attacks come from people who purport to be supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. So somehow it's Jeremy Corbyn's fault. And that's JLM's position. They're saying, uh, well, we blame Jeremy Corbyn for this. And it's deeply, deeply unfair to blame an individual who has fought against anti-Semitism all his life. It's deeply unfair to do that. And I'm saddened that JLM have done what they've done. But when you see some of the people that Corbyn has associated with, some of the events he's been at, you can understand why people would get an impression, perhaps, of where he's... Not necessarily that he is anti-Semitic, but then he's... He's been perhaps too ready to be seen with people who do hold extreme views. But, you know, we'd have to go into that in a lot more detail. Jeremy Corbyn is a man of peace. Therefore, anything he's ever been involved in is to try to advance the cause of peace and, and try to eliminate any injustice. So you'd have to be specific who we're talking about. He gets blamed for... Sheikh Raid Salah? Well, you know, the reality... So that the Jews are the germs of the world and cause 9-11. Yeah, well, of course, that, I'm, I'm very, very certain that uh, Jeremy uh, has no interest in that kind of language. So they'd invite him to the Commons for a cup of tea because it's, it's what he deserved. It's, it's, not, it's not inviting them to uh, the Commons for, for a cup of tea. Well, that was tea. his words on video. It's, it, when are we going back to it? Look, the reality is this. Uh, the reality is this, Matt. To blame Jeremy Corbyn for some of the um, anti-Semitic tropes, and I don't know how many there's been, because, of course, if you were to kind of examine if we can deal with the figures that we're talking about, uh, it's a very, very small number. I remember... In the Daily Mail, uh, Margaret Hodge, what a uh, what a fabulous uh, kind of MP uh, she's been in support. She, she's a great show of the Public Accounts Committee. She she put she a double page a double page in the Daily Mail, the very paper that back in the thirties supported Hitler and would have been in support of ex- exterminating her ancestors. She did a double page. And part of the double page, attacking Corbyn, of course, was uh, I've personally submitted 200 um, claims uh, to the Labour Party. I asked for information on them, 180 of them. 180 of them were not Labour Party members at all. And that is the kind of issue that the Labour Party in this anti-Semitism issue is um, trying to uh, deal with, trying to deal with the facts. And the amount of people that have been expelled is an extremely small percentage of Labour Party membership and therefore to try to create an image that the Labour Party is sometimes anti-Semitic when many of us, including me, have been out on the streets physically when I was younger, I have to say, physically fighting the anti-Semites is, is unfair and wrong. But do you maybe then, uh, uh, trying to find a more um, charitable way of thinking about it, is it that people don't realise they're being anti-Semitic? 
Oh, well, there's a possibility of that, of that course. People are well-meaning, they believe themselves to be anti-racist, but they fall into using language yeah, and tropes. Which is why the IHRA definitions came into play, which is why the people who wrote the definitions said, look, these need to be widened out, there need to be an explanation and there need to be a code, which is what Jeremy Corbyn wanted. Uh, they did try and amend it before the NEC meeting. Yeah. To uh, include criticism of Israel. Well, of course, and that's... Well, I think it was the existence of Israel. Uh, no, no, no. The, the issue, the issue centres around, the issue centres around um, criticism of Israel or the Israeli government is not anti-Semitic. Um, but the issue about people saying things... Uh, that they don't realise may be anti-Semitic. Absolutely, I'm sure that is a real issue, which is why Labour has also introduced education programmes, has asked the Jewish community to assist in this. Now, I'm not sure that they've been forthcoming enough, but certainly wants the Jewish community to help in uh, providing the appropriate criteria and educational material to do it. Let's try and end on a, on a, on a, on a more positive note. There's, 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 there's a, at the time of recording, a week to go until polling day. It looks as if, though, the polling is narrowing a bit. Labour seem to be gaining. It feels as if, though, there are there's something in the air, perhaps. It feels reminiscent of 2017, where the Tories called an early election. They have a strong lead. They We're think on the move. Um, what? In, I mean, Labour are behind, let's be honest, about the, the realities of where we are at this point, but... As you say, rightly, uh, before Corbyn confounded the critics and had a far better result than, than perhaps even some of his allies would have, would have dreamed of uh, when, the res- when that exit poll came out. What do you think Labour needs to do between now and this time next week in order to either prevent Boris Johnson to get majority or, or get in an outright Labour government? Make the message clear in our heartlands to come home to Labour. Uh, anybody who voted Leave and feels that the only way that their concerns can be dealt with is by voting Conservative or Brexit will make a huge, huge error. Come home to Labour. I believe that that shift will take place in this last week. I believe that ordinary working people will start to think, do you know what, this Boris Johnson all the way from Eton, like a kind of Eton's version of Del Boy. Um, he's people not, like Del Boy. He's, on, he's not on our <laughs> eye, but I'm not sure they'd Boy C, maybe? I'm trying to think of who the bad he was in any form. <laughs> no, like. The Driscoll brothers. Uh, people might like Del Boy, but I'm not sure they'd buy too much <laughs> stuff from him. And I don't believe, and I believe people, ordinary working people will say, see that it's only Labour and it's only Corbyn who's on our side. Let's come home to Labour and let's make certain we can unite Britain and we can move forward to a Britain that gives hope to our kids, hope for the future and invests in our communities and in our manufacturing base. I know it's a really difficult question and you can be as vague as you like, but... If you had to put a prediction on it, and you can be as specific, you can say Labour majority of 179 or whatever, what would your prediction be for the outcome? My prediction is going to be spot on. Jeremy Corbyn and Labour will form a government on December the 13th. An outright majority or some... Jeremy Corbyn will form (laughs) a government on December the 13th, or or over that weekend, anyway. I mean, if people are listening now, we had Ruth Davidson on the other week, admitted she used to do, uh, you know, paddy power gambling or whatever it was. Should people go to to William Hill and Coral and say, Len McCluskey's told me there's going to be a Labour government? The only... 100 quid on. (laughs) The only thing I would 
tell people to put money on is Liverpool winning the championship this season. Well, I think that seems like a that seems like a very very safe bet at the moment. <laughs> at but, the moment, <laughs> but who knows? Len McCluskey, thank you so much. Thank you. Mike. Cheers. Well, there you go, Len McCluskey. And if you are listening to this, it means that you made it through the whole thing. I'm sorry for having kept you, but I was so engrossed in it. I thought you would be as well. And there were so many things I wanted to ask him. And, of course, he's a different type of figure to the other guests that I've had. I mean, every guest is different, obviously, but he's in a different position. He has so much authority within the Labour movement. I've never interviewed a trade union boss before, so there were so many more things uh, I wanted to talk to him about, maybe that would stray beyond just this campaign. But it was a fascinating insight uh, into uh, this Labour campaign, the challenges facing the Labour Party and all the other stuff. I'm not going to keep talking because I'm just adding to the amount of time you're listening to this podcast. But thank you for downloading. Please do tell all your friends about it. Share it on social media. Leave an iTunes review. Thank you to everyone that does. It really does make a difference. And I'll see you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.